today's reading uh, can be found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, and on the Church Bibles on page 1172. That's page 1172. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some words in Matthew 14, after Jesus had just fed the 5,000, we read, they all ate and were satisfied. Lord God, we pray this morning, as we feed on your living word, that we would behold Jesus. We pray that we would eat and we would be satisfied. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I want a place where I can go any time. A place of retreat, but it must not be an empty place, a lonely place. I have enough of that for the rest of the time. I want a place full of people, full of friends, not strangers. A place where people are pleased to see me, where they know me well enough to know whether I need space or I need a hug. I need people who understand me, who know what it's like to be out there, who know what it's like when people reject you. I need a place where I can just be me. But I also need a place where people want the best for me, which means those who will help me change and develop and grow. In short, I need a community to be a part of, to belong to, a community that will love me. And you know what? I found it. And it changed my life. It's the best thing that has ever happened to me. Now, it would be really nice, wouldn't it, if that person was speaking about the church Even better if they were speaking about our church, this church, St. Mary's. But it's not. It's courtesy of my friend Mark Mennell and based on one man's description 
of what it was like to move to San Francisco and join the huge gay community in that city. And he was, in part, escaping the church and how he had been treated by Christians. This morning, we're not going to be thinking about sexual ethics. Rather, we're considering what church should be like. The title I've been asked to speak on is Servant-Hearted Fellowship. And Paul's letter to the Galatians takes us, I think, some way in finding the answer. Paul has been writing just a couple of decades after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And he's writing to a group of house churches in an area that we would know as Western Turkey. And he's been warning them of false, works-based, legalistic religion, which, like gangrene, was ruining their churches. And it was a message that had replaced the, the, the good news of the sufficient grace of God That God, through the death of his son Jesus on the cross, was for you and not against you. And they'd replaced it with a religion of something completely different. They were saying in practice, look, Jesus' death, it's not enough. Circumcision, obedience to the kosher food laws, dutifully working to try and please God and please others was also required. And this false teaching, Paul warns in the letter, has devastating consequences. For for God's community, the church is no longer, when it's no longer based on grace but good works, the bar seems too high for entry and too unachievable for those who are already in. And sadly, 2,000 years or so later, after Paul first wrote these words, there are churches, or rather groups of people, who are meeting like we are now this morning, not only all over this country, but all over our town, who are slowly dying because of the poison of legalism. And in Galatians chapter 6, what Paul does here is he applies the teaching about the gospel of grace that has permeated the last five chapters to the nitty-gritty, day-by-day communal interaction of God's people in the local church. Just have a look down at the first word of the chapter and the last word of the chapter, apart from the word, Amen. It's this word, brothers. He's addressing family. Everything from start to finish in this chapter is about how we interact as brothers and sisters in the family of the local church. As those, as we read back in chapter 3, verses 26 to 29, who are joined together to one another through Christ to be sons of Abraham, children of the living God. This is a letter written to God's family. It's written to you and to me if we're followers of Jesus here this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, as Rob mentioned earlier, you are still more than welcome amongst us. But as you listen, can I ask you to ask yourself this question as we go through these verses? The question is this, is this a community that you would want to belong to? Is this a community that you would want to belong to? And if you are a member of the church family here this morning, the question for us is this, is this a community that we are ready to commit to and therefore create? 
is this a community we're ready to commit to and create? You see, Galatians 6, it's far more than just the practical instructions at the end of the letter. Rather, it's a beautiful picture of what the gospel of grace can look like in community. It's the beautiful reality of grace-filled living. I've got just two headings for us uh, this morning. Uh, I've got two headings for us this morning. I think they'll come up. Uh, The first is this. The church is a community of grace which restores and carries. The church is a community of grace which restores and carries. And this is verses 1 to 5. Now, back at the end of chapter 5, Paul has lifted the lid. He's popped the bonnet there in verse 26 on what was going on in this church. And it's no surprise. You see, the false teaching and legalism that has entered their church has led to pride. It's what law always does. You see, give people law, and because there's no grace, verse 26 of chapter 5 abounds. You see, I think I keep the law better than you, so I look down on you, and I therefore judge you. Legalism condemns. So we read verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him, her, gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. The alternative to a law-based community is a grace-filled, therefore spiritual one, and that is to be a restorative one. Paul here is very, being very careful with his language as he refers to someone who's caught in a sin, or, or we could read transgression. And it conveys the image of a mistake, a misstep, which recognizes a person's failure but does not condemn the person or write that person off. It's the inappropriate web search or, or the talking down of a colleague. It's a mistake which all of us are prone to. Hence why, second half of verse 1, he says, look, we need to watch over ourselves. Any sin that my brother or sister falls into, I too could easily fall into. There but for the grace of God go I. It's a phrase that any spiritual man or woman should have on their lips and in their hearts often. We're all sinners. And we're just as liable to misstep. But a community that believes in grace, verse 1, restores. Now, this principle of restoration is very different to uh, the approach of a legalistic church, which judges and condemns and often will exaggerate the missteps, the mistakes of those around, making the situation worse, not better. As one writer has quipped, the church is the only force that shoots its own wounded, or rather, the legalistic or graceless church is the only force that shoots its own wounded. So a community of grace is to be a a community that restores. Verse 1, how are we to restore? We're to restore one another gently. Now, restore in the original language was a medical term employed for setting of a broken bone or, or mending a fracture. And that is the care that we're to take with one another, with a brother or sister, when they fall into a sin. Do you see the compare and contrast exercise? A legalistic community, through its condemnation and tutting, it breaks, it hurts. 
a grace-filled community brings healing and restoration. You see, a church is to be a hospital for the wounded rather than a hotel for the sorted. Friends, we are to be a grace-filled community where broken bones get healed and souls get fully restored. And of course, this is what it means to be spiritual. Do you see the word buried there in verse 1? Treating one another with grace. How do we do that? We'll have a look at verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In direct contrast to the Judaizers, those who are leading this back to Moses' campaign that was ruining these churches, Paul rather provocatively invokes the fulfillment of the law of Christ there in verse 2. You see, when we love like Jesus loved, carry like Jesus carried, carrying the burdens of others, be that their mistake or the shame that they're feeling, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now have a look there in verse 2, because I don't think the burdens there are restricted just to the transgressions of others. It might also be the more ordinary burdens that any one of us is facing uh, as we experience and go through life in this fallen world. Maybe you're here this morning and you're the mother who is uh, so tired because of sleepless nights of your young one. Maybe it's the father or husband who's recently lost his job and is fearful of how he'll provide for his family. Maybe it's the young graduates in our church family who cannot find a job. Maybe it's the sadness of the widow who feels so lonely As a grace-filled community, we are to carry one another's burdens, bereavement, diagnosis, tragedy. We carry one another. And yet, as we read on in verses 3 to 5, this requires care. Let me read from verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. In order to carry the burdens of others, Paul tells us that we need to have a right view of ourselves. You see, a grace-filled community is not an excuse for lazy discipleship, but will be clear on who we are in Christ. That's who I am who I am in Christ. So with humility, I'm going to take responsibility for myself in order so I can serve others within the church family. All of us are in a battle against our sin, so sober sober self-assessment is required before I ever am tempted to jump in and judge others. I think verse 4 is a hard verse Uh, to understand. But I think it means, look, I mustn't compare myself with how the person sitting next to me this morning, or maybe in my home group, is running the Christian race. Comparison is not required in that respect. I've got to take responsibility for myself, my marriage, my work, my parenting, my bank statements. Why? Well, verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. The church is to be a community of grace which restores and carries. Which I suppose asks the question of all of us, do I know the people 
sitting around me this morning well enough? Are there people in this church who know me well enough to restore me when I go astray and carry me when I can't carry myself? Are there people here that I can restore or carry when they need it? That's a servant-hearted fellowship. People looking out for one another so they know each other well enough as we follow the example of the Lord Jesus, the one who in the Garden of Tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, how practically, Rupert, do we go about this? Well, second heading this morning, the church is a community of grace which works to do good. And this is verses 6 to 10. Now, in verses 6 to 10, Paul uses an agricultural uh, metaphor of sowing and reaping. And then he goes on to apply this to three very practical areas of church family life. And we'll look at each in turn and then finish. The first practical area of the church life is the pastor's harvest. And this is in verse 6. He says, look, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. You see, the principle of the harvest that Paul is going to speak about applies to the way we treat our Bible teachers, home group leaders maybe, children and youth leaders. Now, it's impossible to know exactly what was going on in the Galatian church at this point, but it might have been that the faithful Bible teachers have been neglected materially in comparison to the false teachers whose arguments sounded so winsome and so compelling and appeared so spiritual. Yet for the church to keep going, there needs to be a proper care, a grace-filled care for those who minister the Word of God. You see, when a church is gripped by the grace of God, you'll see it in how we care for our Bible teachers. Now, we're probably sitting there a bit awkwardly at the moment because verse 6 is never an easy one for pastor teachers to to speak on because they're part of the transaction, aren't they? So it's really good that you can hear from me rather than Rob or Woody or anyone else. Um, But the principle is this. Those who sow the word of God in preaching and teaching are to expect from that spiritual sowing a material harvest. And that is a relationship that benefits all. It's, it's a principle of looking after our Bible teachers, our church leaders. It's not a new one. Jesus spoke about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. And it's all for very practical reasons. As they labor at the word of God and sow it to us week by week, so we benefit spiritually. So we need to take care of them materially. And a great sign of spiritual care, of grace-filled care, is when pastoral care goes from the pastor and to the pastor. That's the sign of a really healthy fellowship. Pastoral work, preaching, praying, loving people, support back from the pew, and it's not confined to the financial. Have a look at verse 6. We share all good things with the one who teaches. It's not simply a payroll payment, but a care and concern that marks our expression of fellowship. Now, of course, if you're a Galatian legalist, one who's hell-bent on keeping the rules, you have an attitude of how much can I get out of the pastor or the home group leader or youth or children's work leader. I'm going to squeeze every last effort ounce from them. But if you're a spiritual Christian 
a grace-filled one. The attitude ought to be, how can I make this person as well-supported as possible so they can engage most fully in godly pastoral life, which is good for me and ultimately for God's glory. The second very practical area of the church being a community of grace that works to do good is the personal harvest. And this is verses 7 to 8. And this is where it really comes home to us all this morning. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We've moved from the pastor to the privacy of our own lives. And the logic seems to be, if we don't invest in our own spiritual lives, how can any of us expect to make a good contribution to the life of the church? What he's doing here is picking up themes of the sinful nature or the flesh and the spirit that are there in chapter 5. And the apostle declares, verse 7, look, don't be deceived. Learn the harvest lesson. If you sow lettuces, you will reap lettuces. If you sow radishes, you will reap radishes. What we harvest depends on what we sow. So verse 8, it's as if we have two gardens in front of us this morning, and they are labeled the sinful nature and the spiritual nature. And the sinful nature is what God says is wrong and harmful to his people. The spiritual nature is that which is right and pure and true and benefits us, his people. One will lead us down to the garden path to death. And one will lead to life and fruitfulness and usefulness in the kingdom of God. And we feed and cultivate these two gardens every time we think and speak and act. So let's get very practical as we picture our gardens in front of us this morning. To sow to the flesh is to pander, to cause it, to cuddle rather than crucify our sinful nature. A secret jealous thought sown. We harvest the damage that does to a friendship. A a pornographic image viewed. And we reap carnage in our marriages. A, A critical tongue, a lazy attitude, a gossiping conversation. They all reap corruption which ultimately leads to death. Friends, some Christians uh, sow to the flesh every day and they wonder why they do not reap holiness. The alternative is to sow according to the Spirit, which is the same as setting our minds on the Spirit or walking by or in the Spirit. And again, it's a life of practice. The books we read that the company we keep, what occupies our thoughts as we gaze out the window or listen to the preacher. Even what we do for leisure, it all contributes to sowing to the spirits. And as we foster in private the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer, as we meet with our home group week by week, in sowing, there is a prospect of reaping. Have you heard the phrase, sow a thought, reap an action? Sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. It's the harvest principle. Now, some of you might be watching uh, Clarkson's Farm 
or the second uh, season, anyway, of Clarkson's Farm on Amazon Prime. We can talk over coffee, whether uh, what you think of it, if you like. But my father-in-law, he is a genuine farmer, uh, and he comes from the Cotswolds too. And he's in his sort of early 70s, and he's one of the hardest workers I know. And one of the reasons farming is so challenging is that it takes time, and it takes a lot of hard work. You sow, you wait, and then you reap in all seasons. And all those stages are so difficult. I, I, I simply cannot imagine him one day going out to sow and then returning a few hours later saying to himself, huh, this is much too like hard work. I'm going back to bed. No, he keeps going every day for the sake of the harvest. And friends, that is what Paul is teaching us as a community of grace. We can dictate the harvest in our Christian lives. By the Spirit's help, we can cancel sowing to the flesh and rather sow to please the Spirit. And God does honor that commitment. As you're tempted to give up sowing today, he will bring about a harvest of usefulness in your life, of fruitfulness and usefulness within the church. And it's good for us, and it's good for the people out there, as finally we see in verses 9 and 10, the public harvest. Let me read from verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do you see, the church, we are to be a community of grace that works to do good for all people. And this others-focused activity uh, certainly includes our witness and our mission. But Paul, I think here, is being intentionally rather vague. You see, we're to do good to all people at all times, on all occasions, in all manner of ways. Not because it's strategic, Not, heaven forbid, to win brownie points. No, it's just because we understand as recipients of God's goodness what it's like to receive goodness. And he says, don't grow tired of doing that good. In the office tomorrow, at the school, at work, in the cricket club, with our neighbors, carry on doing good. Verse 9, it will be hard work. Verse 9 is a word to those of us who are keen to give up doing good this morning. The ground in which we work can often seem very hard. He says, learn the harvest lesson. Do not give up. You reap what you sow. Do good to all people. Now, as we close, just consider the impact that a grace community who lives like that could have on this town, on this nation, and on this world. Ron Sider, many of you will have heard of. He, he most famously uh, wrote a, a book called Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger. He wrote that book a number of years ago. But listen to these words he wrote more recently, and with these we'll finish. He said, look, think of the impact of the first thing that radical feminists thought of when the conversation turned to evangelical men was that they had the best reputation for keeping their marriage vows and serving their wives in the costly fashion of Jesus at the cross? Is that the first thing, Christian man here this morning, 
Is that what people think of you? That he goes on to say, think of the impact of the first thing the homosexual community thought of when anyone mentioned evangelicals or the church was that they were people who lovingly ran the age shelters and tenderly cared for those people down to their last gasp. He finishes, a little consistent modeling and costly servanthood are often worth millions of true words harshly spoken. Galatians 6 verse 10, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. The church, we are to be a community of grace that restores and which carries and which works to do good. Let's pray for God's help to do that. Let me pray. Those words from Galatians 3, verse 26. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for your Son, Jesus, that through him and union with him, we are called your children. We are your children. We praise you for your amazing grace and thank you that we can remember this as we share bread and wine in a moment. Please enable us to commit to and create a community of grace here at St. Mary's so we might be a blessing to one another and a blessing to the people outside of this room this morning. And we pray that for our good, for their good, and ultimately for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.